new episode of Hashtag Neverland coming this Thursday. The topic will be men and mental health. We look forward to bringing you this episode and can't wait for you to hear it. On computer. Three, two, one. Hi everyone and welcome to Hashtag Neverland episode 14. I am your host, Joe Ambridge. Hi, and I'm a psychotherapist and relationship counsellor and co-host, Mark Fielding. Um, and today's topic is OCD, um, and we have got a guest who we are going to introduce shortly. Um, he's actually very kindly shared a link to tell us what OCD is um, on healthtimes.com.au. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder, also known as OCD, is a chronic anxiety disorder that affects about 2% or more than uh, 500,000 Australians is characterized by the presence of obsessions which have occurred and persistent thoughts. They're intrusive and unwanted and paired with compulsions performed to try and minimize anxiety. Um, so yeah, our guest that we have is uh, author of um, Anorexia Unlocked, Understanding Your Story Through Mine, uh, JL Keys, who is with us now. Hi, JL. Hi, lovely to meet you, Joan. Hello, Mark. It's really Hi. great to be here with Thank you. I'm looking forward us. to our discussion this evening. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. Yeah. And um, yes. as we discuss, you're here to talk to us about um, your lived experience with OCD. So just give us a little uh, brief story of your background with OC living with OCD. Yeah, okay. Well, OCD was sort of joined a whole tribe of illnesses. So to sort of start from the very beginning, very good place to start. Um, at the age of 15, I developed anorexia nervosa and I lived with that until I was 24 years old. And then um, because of the damage that I'd done during those nine years, um, even though I met someone and I finally, you know, left the eating disorder behind, the damage then moved over into developing other mental illnesses. And one of those was OCD along with migraines, depersonalization and suicidal depression. So I wasn't having a very good time of it and chronic fatigue as well. But OCD joined me at the age of 27 when I became pregnant with my first child. And I didn't know that I was pregnant, but all of a sudden out of the blue during school holidays, because back then I was a school teacher, um, I started to panic about everything. And if I thought about doing something, I had to get it done before I could go to sleep. And then I'd think about the next thing and I'd think, what's going on here you know this is not me what what's happening and um, then I discovered that I was pregnant and during that you know ensuing nine months it was just an absolute utter nightmare and if someone said to me you know JL you know you need because I'm from the cloth nappy day um, you need three dozen nappies and they've got to be washed and you know all ready for your baby and put in the nursery I couldn't sleep until those nappies were bought and washed, pre-washed and folded and put in the nursery ready to go. I mean, at that stage, I probably had about seven months to go. So it was during that time, and I didn't know what was happening because I hadn't heard the term OCD at the time. I just knew that I was turning into this uh, stressed out mess, um, worrying about every little detail of my life. And I just moved in with my then husband to a new home on 10 acres in Victoria. And um, I decided that I would add some, you know, dried flower arrangements. That was sort of the go back in that day. And once I had that thought, for example, I had to go and buy the dried flowers. I had to get the pots. I had to get them done. I had to get them on the wall. 
and um, I just didn't know what was happening. And of course, finding out I was pregnant, I then went to, um, you know, to the appropriate doctor and everything to begin that process for me. And I did mention it to them. And I said, look, I'm driving myself nuts here. Everything I think I've got to do and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and everything's got to be in order. And I haven't been like this. I've, you know, been sick with um, an eating disorder and everything, but this is all new to me, you know, what's going on. And there was really nothing that was shared back to me as to what was going on. I think other than, well, you know, you're pregnant with your first baby, aren't you nervous? Aren't you afraid? Aren't you? I'm thinking, no, nah, not really. But because I'd been ill, I was concerned about its health, you know, me carrying this baby to term and um, what its health outcome might be. But in terms of being diagnosed, that didn't happen until after my second pregnancy. So I went through that one and then the OCD transferred over into relocking and refolding and read this and read that. And if I hit the bench, I'd have to go and wipe it down and all these crazy hidden behaviours because I wasn't sharing it with anybody either. But I wasn't getting any answers if I did ask a doctor or a naturopath or whoever I consulted at the time. And then um, I found myself pregnant with my daughter, my second pregnancy three years later. So by now I was three years down into what I now know as OCD and having to deal with an almost three-year-old and now a second pregnancy, which intensified it all again. So life wasn't very pleasant and the migraines were happening. The dissociation was happening. I was panicking about everything. And um, look, it wasn't until, and I had my children at 27 and 30, and it, but it wasn't until I was uh, 37 that I was able to find someone who could diagnose and say, well, you've got all of these things. They are actually mental illnesses and they are stemming from um, having been an anorexic and the damage that was done. And this part of it, because there was suicidal depression as well and all the other things, um, is actually called OCD. So it wasn't until I was 37 that I actually got a label for that part of what I was doing to myself. So that's sort of yeah. it in a nutshell, in a way, uh, as to how it came on and all of that. I mean, I have my own theories as to why it came on at that time, but that was what I was experiencing and went on to for about 10 years before I finally um, found a way to put an end to it all. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm thinking about the amount of time. So the behaviour is coming in and then not really knowing what was happening for a considerable amount of time. I mean, wow, that must have been so confusing. It was very confusing, but I think what held it up was the fact that I did get pregnant and uh, that wasn't a planned thing. It was because I'd had an eating disorder and I was now developing these other sidekicks, as I call them. Um, pregnancy was the last thing on my mind. And uh, when I found out I was pregnant, I then sort of naively went, oh, maybe this is meant to happen because somehow the chemistry will realign and bring, you know, sometimes pregnancies can either take you one way or the other. And I was hoping it would take me onto that, you know, sorting everything out hormonally and bringing everything back into line. But unfortunately, so when I first found out I was pregnant with Brad, I thought naively, I went, Ooh, yay, <laughs> this little tack is going to, you know, this is the end of it all. But unfortunately it was the beginning of the next chapter of, a huge downfall in my life that um, went on till I was about 38 years old. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned, I know we're talking about OCD here, but you mentioned kind of dissociation and 
depersonalization as well. I, I in some of the, the thing you sent originally when, that I read. I just wonder whether you could maybe just explain to our listeners a little bit what what that's like, what that is. Well, that's another thing that wasn't diagnosed for a very, very long time. And it wasn't till way after OCD. But it's the feeling, it was the feeling of not feeling present, not feeling present in the room mm. or on the planet or where, anywhere where you were. Mm. And, um, you know, if I hadn't experienced, for example, if I was sitting here talking to you, Joe and Mark now, and um, then I go out, you know, tomorrow somewhere, I go off to school working. I say, what did you do last night? And I'd have to stop and really think what I did. And then I'd have to really think. And then I go, oh, that's right. I did this recording with these guys, you know, da da. But then it would feel like it was about 100 years ago and I was relating a story from, you know, almost a past life. So it was that sort of really out of it and almost being like a goldfish, just remembering the 30 seconds you were in. And then it's like, well, that went, now it's the next 30 seconds. So it was. yeah, an awful place to find myself in, along with everything else that was going on as well. So, yeah. How did you make sense of that before that was diagnosed, of dissociation, depersonalisation? Because that must have been kind of scary at the time. Well, the whole thing became scary, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I got through. I think once having Brad and then, you know, three years later having Kimberly they became my focus and they became my world. And I sort of just went into overdrive and just mechanical, I mean, not overdrive, just mechanically got through each day. I mean, I lived out on 10 acres. I lived over in Victoria. I'm back in South Australia now. I had no family support or anything. So there was little old me out on 10 acres. And my husband at the time was a lecturer up at Footscray Institute in Melbourne in um, IT so he was away you know Monday to Friday so I was left to my own devices and by this point in time I'd done a lot of research and investigations about what had gone wrong and look I'm over the eating disorder I've restored my weight why am I still still suffering so and then the interruption of pregnancies and then the false thought well this will put everything right and when that didn't happen I had too much focus on the children and and I'd already hit so many roadblocks that I sort of stepped back from it. And I might step back for a year or something and just, I was just suffering. <laughs> and then something might come along, you might find yourself in a uh, discussion or conversation with somebody and they'll mention something, you're going, hang on, just tell me what you mean by that. And that would trigger off a new pathway of investigation for me. And so you'd open the door to that and hope that that would be, you know, the end of it. But it, it wasn't until I reached 37 uh, years of age when unfortunately my marriage came to a close and I was now a single mum and it was that process of becoming a single mum and being having a psychologist recommended to me that I wanted to go and say look how do I emotionally support my children during this time Uh, what do Colin and I need to do and um she started to talk about that with me and she said I think you've got it down pretty well she said I want to talk about you and intuitively she knew that there was more (laughs) to discover about me I hadn't said anything to her and I just sort of deflated in the chair opposite her and I said oh I just don't think I can do that I've been doing me for what 14 years or something by then I said I'm a little bit over it and I really don't I just have to accept that this is where I am in life and she said well what do you mean and I sort of tried to describe to her what I was experiencing and feeling. And she said, well, you're doing great with the kids, keep going, but when you're ready, come back and see me. 
And I went, yeah. and I walked out the door and I thought, no, I'm not going back there. I just cannot do me anymore. I just have to accept that this is my life moving forward. I did that damage. We're out of here. But then, um, and I've become very spiritual throughout this time. And I think people that have these sort of backstories, they end up in these pathways as well. And it was only a couple of weeks after that, that I was sitting with a girlfriend at the time, having a cup of tea while our children were at kinder or wherever they were. And she just asked me a question. We both realized that we had similar um, sufferings in a way. And she asked the question, do you think something happened as a child jail? And I just went, everything it went inside went bang. I just started to shake and I jumped up out of the chair and went and hid in the corner in her, of the room that we were in. Felt like a bit of a dork. But once I sort of settled down, I came back and she said, jail, I think you need to look into that. And it was the first time I'd had that sort of response from any questioning at all. So I rang Joan, the psychologist, and knocked on her door and back I went. And it was the best decision that I ever made because she was the person brought in. Would have been nice to have her 10 years earlier, but to make yeah. sense of what had happened to me, why I'd become anorexic in the first place, and why I was still suffering these associated mental illnesses. Mm. So mm. it was a long journey to get to that point, you know, at the age of 37 by then. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure, Mark, a lot of mental health stuff does trauma from childhood and stuff. Um, I know, for me personally, a lot of my stuff's probably stemmed from childhood being bullied and stuff like that. Um, I obviously have anxiety myself as someone would have experienced. And the question I'd like to ask, obviously, as someone with OCD, having kids, how did you cope with all, like, the dirty nappies and the, the germs and everything? <laughs> Yeah, I don't actually remember doing the things for the dirty nappies. Um, I think that that side of it was sort of mechanical. It was, um, yeah, nothing comes to mind with that. But certainly with the children, um, I think it sort of manifested with them. It wasn't the OCD so much. It was them, them having to be perfect little individuals, you know, so they had to have the right clothes on, the matching socks, the matching shoes. So, this, so that was probably how I played out OCD with them and um, making sure that everything was down pat and you know no one could um, tell them off or they weren't going to get into trouble and forever watching them and being vigilant that no one could criticize my child and those sort of behaviors which are an OCD but they're an anxiety based behavior and fear driven behavior as well but so it wasn't really directly with the children it was what I was doing that nobody saw like I've already mentioned, the refolding and the, the rechecking and the locking of the doors. And, um, and you know, if you rang up to make an appointment for something and hung up and then you forgot to say something, you'd ring back again and then you'd hang up and you think, oh, God, I can't ring back again. I think I'm an idiot. But um, I did because I had to do whatever came into my mind. I had to do it. Otherwise, I knew peace just wasn't going to happen until I, I finalised the deal on that trigger that brought that OCD thinking or behaviour around. So, um, but in terms of my children, I guess once I came to healing, I'll mention this now in case it goes out of my head. My daughter was, and I wrote an article for a um, online parenting um, platform here in Sydney, Australia. They wanted a, a Mother's Day um, thing about an inspirational story from a mother and a daughter perspective. And I wrote that and um, I said, you know, Kimberly was the greatest gift ever given. 
um, because of the role that she played in my life. And one of those was that OCD of everything having to be perfect because she wasn't going to have a bar of that right from when she could walk and talk. She just, she wanted to wear odd socks. She wanted to wear odd clothing. She wanted to do this and wanted to do that. And that was very difficult for me to do. But once I began my healing with Joan, I let go of that and I was able to walk next to my daughter up the street when she had all this odd stuff going on. And um, so she was a great gift to help me begin to undo not only OCD, but everything else that I was doing to myself at the time. Yeah, hopefully they didn't pick up on it. I tried to hide as much of my illness from them as I could and keep my day-to-day exposure normal to my children because I was did have that awareness that this could highly impact them and their development so a lot of what I went through they've got no idea you know that I went through that unless they read my book and neither of them's done that yet so who knows COVID and stuff with that affecting routines and everything well I, I don't have OCD now So, um, yeah, no, OCD sort of hung around with me from the onset of my first pregnancy at 27 and then probably into my late 30s, something like that. Um, And then I just found a way one day, and I can explain that to you now if you would like me to. Would that be okay? Yeah, sure. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, I just was so tired of it and so tired of refolding, knocking, and um, yeah. And it was just a thought that came one day and I don't know where it came from because I hadn't read it. I hadn't talked about it with anybody. It was just a feeling that came over me. And it was that the next time to try and explain it, the next time I went into it, had a thought which would generate an OCD outcome, instead of allowing that to just cut that thought, or if I knocked the cupboard, instead of going back to re, uh, you know, wipe over it or whatever, to immediately cut it right then, just clear every thought out of my head and count to 30 and focus on the numbers one to 30 and say them out loud. And um, I felt it was almost like I was being guided to do it, I suppose. And the first time I ever did it, I got to 30 and I remember thinking this will be interesting when I go back and revisit that thought and I can't remember what it was on that particular occasion. But I went back to the initial thought, which would have seen me go and refold, and it had no power over me. I could think that thought, and I didn't go and refold. I didn't go and do that. And I went, well, that's interesting. You know, so it was still, you know, over a couple of years probably, but or probably not that long, about a year or something, where I had learned from that one experience that there was a way out of OCD for me. Sometimes we rely on medication to take us out of all of these mental illnesses. That never worked for me, so I had to find a different way. So I then realized um, that if I went to lock the car door and then I had that compulsion to go back and recheck to make sure I locked them again, I would immediately stop, just zero all those thoughts out that were pulling me over to that situation, count out to 30 really loud and slowly and then just turn and walk off. <laughs> and that pullback just didn't happen. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And then I began to change it, like refolding towels. Uh, for people, listeners that experience OCD, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. 
you refold the towels and you put them away because you've washed them and you know you've done everything and you put them in the cupboard and you open the cupboard and you take them out and you refold them and you put them back in the cupboard again you shut them (laughs) so with that one I refolded put in and I went okay this is what we and I had planned this ahead that this is what I would do on these occasions I would shut that door immediately leave and go out of the house and I had two acres at this time so I had plenty of space to walk around in and I would just walk around and I'd count to 30 and I'd focus on the trees or I'd focus on the birds or I'd focus on something on my two acres. And then I would come back to the cupboard and I'd open it and I'd look at those towels. No, I don't need, and I'd shut the cupboard and I'd walk away. I always, initially, I always tested myself and very, very, I mean, initially, you know, every now and then I'd fall down, I'd have to refold and I'd go through the process again. But eventually I didn't have to do it at all. Eventually, I knew that I just didn't need to go there. I didn't need to do it. So, yeah, and that was something that no one told me, no one or anything. It was just something that came to mind for me and in the end worked for me to get rid of, you know, doing those repeated behaviours all the time. And I know people have repeated behaviours of washing their hands. I didn't have that one. So why we do different OCD behaviours I don't have an answer for that one. I just have the answer that worked for me, you know, on this on this occasion. So I have an OCD for probably about 20 years now. Now I'm dating myself, aren't I? <laughs> How old I am. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's not an easy thing. No, I'm not making light of it. People that have got OCD, it's, an, it's a horrible thing to live with. And you have to have absolute strength and by that time and also with two children now you know beginning school and now in a separated situation and all of those things I had to um, get myself together to be a better parent and role model and change this pattern of behavior that I could then instill in them so that was a huge driving force for me as well to say enough you know and and put a stop to it so um, and then when I found that that worked it was like hallelujah and um, just kept going yeah yeah, I mean, when I'm kind of listening to what you're saying about the coping strategies, yeah, I guess different coping strategies work for different people. Medication, you know, works for some people, but I'm fascinated by it. It's kind of, if I put a label on it, you know, it doesn't need a label, but if I try to put a label on it, quite a strong mindfulness component there. You know, when you're going out onto your two acres and and you're focusing on things that are outside you, you know, as a way to, you know, to stop your mind focusing on, you know, the towels and, you know, the, the compulsion to get them out. I mean, that kind of says to me, really, there's a lot of mindfulness going on and a lot of inner resilience. Well, there's a lot of growth went on at that time. I mean, you healed yourself. I know you had the psychologist, but this is stuff you're doing every day within your own mind, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And if I look back, you know, um, and I know that I'm talking about me, but I'm also reflecting the readers of my book and what they're reflecting. That was a real eye-opener to me when um, particular, Alicia was this lady's name, I was telling you before that the author that asked to meet me because she wanted to read my book. Mm. And um, it's when people like that or people that knew me during this time when I was at the height of my illness and they get the book and they read it and they're like, how? We never saw any of this. How the heck did you pull it off that you look so normal in public but behind the scenes, you were, because I got to the point where I was so ill 
that I had to use the walls to walk around. I had to use the fence to get to the car and all of that. I was extremely debilitated. But, um, but it's in their feedback you realise that, yeah, I'm a pretty strong person, I suppose, and thank goodness I was that I had this strength of mind to be able to pull myself up and keep going. And I'm not saying I'm the only one. There's many of us across the planet. We're sort of just talking about me now and hopefully listeners can grasp onto something like that and go, yay, you know, it is possible. And yes, I, you know, I resonate with her. I hear what she's saying and, you know, it will give them the motivation to keep continuing as well. It was, it was hard and, you know, suicidal depression came in and that was nightly walks wanting to end my life and working out how I could do it. But the same thing there, and that was at the suggestion of Joan, um, let's talk to suicidal depression when you come out instead of, and that's an OCD thing in a way as well, because I would go to bed fine and then I'd wake up in the depths of depression. It would just be enveloping me and I'd get up and I'd be walking the backyard and working out how I could end it all. And, you know, with the least disruption to my children and all of that sort of thing. And once again, the same, pro okay, I've beaten OCD. Let's use that process here. So I would get up, it would be in the depths of it, and I would go out to the backyard and I'd go, okay, what is your purpose? What do you want me to learn from you? Why are you here? What is your message? And then different answers, and you just silence your mind and different answers would come. And then I'd go and write them down. Then I'd go back to bed and I'd wake up and I'd be completely fine the next morning. And then I'd take whatever I jotted down back to Joan and I'd say, look, Joan, this is what's coming up for me. This is what we need to explore. And then eventually suicidal depression left. It had served its purpose. It had given me its reason for existing and it left my life. So, um, and that again was over a period of time. I also got to the point where I knew that that desperation of suicidal depression that happened around two in the morning, I knew that if I could get back to sleep in the morning, it would be gone as well so that that acknowledgement sort of like I just have to get through it and in the morning it'll all be gone so that was a helpful sort of thing to acknowledge as well so yeah we've sort of gone off track from OCD but I think mental illness whatever label we give it they they have similarities you know in why they exist in the first place and the purpose of why they exist as well well that's how I've come mm -hmm. to see it over many many years yeah um you, you um, when we were conversing about organising for you to come on the podcast, you shared a, a poem about OCD with me. Would you like to share it with our listeners? Yeah, I will. Um, I can't remember when this one came up. There was a time back in 2014 when, for some reason, poetry started to come out of me. And I remember the first weekend it happened. I wrote 12 in one day. And it was like, what the heck's happening? And now I've got over 100 and they'll end up in another book somewhere. But um, this one was the one I wrote, you know, reflecting on this experience at the time. And I've called it OCD and all that waste of time. I folded you already, yet here I am doing this again. Fold, refold, smooth, re-smooth. I checked the lock already, yet here I am doing this once more. No, several times more. I smoothed the bench top. I just knocked. Not once, not twice. Oh, I lost count. I had turned that switch to off. Yes, I had. Yes, I had. Far out. Yes, I had. I had solved that issue in my head, but here it is again. Solved, 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 and solved. 
I cleaned that bench, yes I did. Then why, oh why, am I here again? I rang and checked the appointment date. I rang again. By now I'm in a bind, I can't call again. This life of mine is tiring and I'm, I'm sure I will go mad. If I check one more thing, I know the tears will flow. So thank you to the day when a solution found my brain. I tried it, trusted it, and freed myself from all that waste of time. Thank you, that was very beautiful. Thank you for letting me share it. Thank you so much, <laughs> and I hope our listeners enjoy that. Um, well, if you don't mind, we'll share it on our socials as well, if that's okay. Oh, do that as long as you put copyright jail keys. Oh, definitely. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the copy of it there anyway, I think, in yeah. the notes. Yeah. Now, Mark, did you have any questions yeah, you wanted to ask? Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to ask you, I, I guess, from kind of underpinning maybe a lot of what you said, is kind of you mentioned spirituality earlier, and I can kind of hear that under maybe quite a lot of the things you're talking about. I'm just interested to hear a little bit more on how that's helped you. Oh, gosh. Um, it's a big question, I know. <laughs> it is a big question. That's another episode of your podcast series. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to answer it this way. You know, part of why I went into OCD, eating disorders and all of that was I had a very strong, strong, strict religious upbringing. And it was a Methodist one, um, Uniting Church it became, and it was very fire and brimstone and fear. <laughs> and because my parents were the, the ministers in the church, it didn't help. You know, so I crossed the borders of God with my dad. And um, so I got very confused. So I wanted, by the time I got to this point in my life, I wanted nothing to do with religion or church or anything like that. And, um, but somewhere along the line, someone introduced me to a new way of looking at it you know, that, that support that we can have, that inner, whatever you want to call it, I just call it universe now because I, I have a thing about the word God because of my background only. Yeah. And so, and I also began to experience, once I met Joan and I think somewhere inside of me, I made the decision, look, this is it, I'm really going to heal now. Um, I think once somewhere in you that you voice that to yourself, the body goes, yes. And my intuition became very, very strong. Mm. And dreams became very, very strong as well. And I would have dreams that would almost feel like I was there. And I'd wake up the next, next morning and I'd, I'd relay them back to Joan. And I got into dreams and dream therapy and messages of dreams. And um, I discovered for me that a lot of my answers were actually in those dreams as well. And a lot of my story was embedded in it. And how do I know that? Because I would have a dream and I'd go back to Joan, I'd say, look, oh, I'm wondering if this has happened or, you know, and we'd talk about it. And next thing out of the blue, I would see a relative or somebody who actually knew that part of my story and they would be telling it to me. And I'd go, hang on, you're telling me what my dream was telling me. And I haven't told you anything about that. So there's no way we could have colluded together on that. So I began to trust the power of my dreams. I began to trust the power of my intuition and that guidance that just came from within. And um, once I kept following and I kept getting it right, then I couldn't discount that there was a guiding hand, a guiding force, whatever, in my recovery process, but also in my life. And it got to the point, just as, as a side, my son and my daughter, my daughter's very... Um, 
has dreams and, and she believes in them and all of that. My son does too, but, you know, he just steps back a little bit from it. But I know when I was still a single mum and I had them in my home and I would share dreams and Kimberly would share hers with me and we'd work out what it was said. And we sort of got into that sort of way of life a little bit. And um, Brad might be sitting there and he'd say, now, mum, and then he'd stop me and go, do you already know? <laughs> and I'd go, well, tell me. <laughs> and he'd tell me and I'd go, yeah, I sort of knew that already. <laughs> For example, just a quick example with his um He's a guitarist who's a musician and um, he did one of his guitar exams and um, the night before he was to get the paperwork for it, I saw it all. I knew exactly the results he was going to get, all of that. And I already knew that he got the A and he got this, that and the other. And um, so he'd sort of look at me and go, oh, here it is. Do you already know? And I go, well, because <laughs> I would see it all laid out in front of me. So I don't think it's uncharacteristic that once people go into this sort of deep healing and inquiry about what's happened for them, that this is their state, mm. um, that this side doesn't eventually come out and, and show us the way as well. I'm trying to say that without sounding religious, sounding religious. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> mean something like that where I'd see stuff mm. happening before it would. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all the time, all the time, you know, and... Um, yeah, it was a wonderful way of life, actually. <laughs> I quite enjoyed it. It's not as strong now in me, and I wish it would come back and be that strong, but, you know, it was there at that time, and, and I still trust and believe. And, and that having that as a powerful thing made it easier over time to let go of the fears that I carried and the reasons why OCD and everything else manifested in my life. It gave me that trust. It gave me that ability to let go and trust that all was going to be well in my world and um so yeah that was all oh, in a nutshell because spirituality is a big thing on its own yeah it is <laughs> it's been, yeah. it was in my life yeah yeah but the, the dreams and i mean i'm a big believer i mean i really like like carl jung and you know he was really into dreams and you know and you know the the internal kind of system if i can just put it that way you know healing and you know lots of other forces coming in so yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm really resonating with what you're saying. And this was deeply meaningful for you. Still is, obviously. Yes, I rely on it every day, yeah. I suppose, you know, just to sit in the quiet and ask the questions when different things are happening and yeah. all of that sort of thing. And um, it does give you that real sense of peace. And I haven't had anxiety or, or any of these things for a number of years now. Um, and yeah, and some of it is kudos to developing that side of myself. You know, mm. during that time but um yeah so anything else <laughs> um, yeah my last question would be um have you got any advice for those that are listening with ocd um what advice you would have for them well to answer that question and i guess you're answering the question you know how do we heal from it um that's how i'm going to interpret it anyway and what happened for me, and I'd like to reference and encourage listeners to um, Google this as well, because, it, you know, I had gone through a lot of uh, psychiatrists, psychologists and everything until I met this lady called Joan Hookstad, and she practiced a therapy called reality therapy underpinned mm. by choice theory. And it was developed by Dr. William Glasser, uh, an American psychiatrist who's deceased since. But... Um, 
when you follow that, it's, it's looking at the reality of your life, the realness of your life and how you've interpreted the different events that have happened in your life. So you, you look at your thoughts and your thought patterns, you look at your behavioural patterns, you look at your emotions. Like I said before, I, I looked at suicidal depression in the head, if you like, or in the eye rather, you know, at night said, okay, what are you doing here? So I'm asking an emotion, what you what do you want to teach me about me? Um, and then you look at your physical symptoms. Well, I had an array of physical symptoms to look at. And embedded in each of those things are a lot of clues as to why, you know, OCD would manifest or an eating disorder would manifest or any of our other mental illnesses. We also look at our belief system and value systems and see whether we aligned with them or whether we're actually living somebody else's that have been imposed on us and therefore we're out of alignment with ourselves. We look at our needs and our wants and our needs, there's five basic needs in um, reality therapy and we look to see whether those needs are actually being met because if they're not, then there's a gaping hole in your quality of life. And then the most important thing where I gained a lot of my information were the relationships with others and with self, of course, ultimately, but the relationship with other people. And it came down to the relationship I had with my parents and particularly my father, although my mother, because at the beginning I thought, yeah, well, it's, you know, my father. But as time went by, my mother certainly came into the picture as well. So I then had, I did a lot of work on looking at the patterns and the threads that I was living my life by and the thoughts and the fear that I was living with the fear of not being like of being blamed and you know having to get straight A's and all of those things and when you have a fear-driven traumatic because I also have sexual abuse thrown in there as well so childhood trauma coupled together with a very strict um, religious upbringing but also a very strict family culture of needing to be the best in society and you've got all these pressures weighing down on you, it's not surprising that at some point in time, the body says, hang on, I am exhausted trying to do all of this. I can't. Plus, somewhere deep underneath this mess, there is a person called JL and she's not being her right now, you know. So um, Joan was the one that began to look at my story and make sense of it and give me the reasons as to why all of these things had manifested in my life and what I, why I needed them at the time. And they were all protecting me from something in my life. And they were, a, um, ex, they were exhibiting or man, um, got the wrong word happening in here, reflection of all of these tremendous fears that I was carrying and living out. And when you have a fear-driven life, that's how you filter and see the world. And I had to change that filter and the patterns and threads and all of those things that I had been taught, you know, that this is how life works. And then I had to unlearn how life works. It doesn't actually work like that. It actually works like this. So, you know, my body was just a reflection of a very tormented soul trying to please everybody and just couldn't quite possibly keep up with that demand. So for people with OCD, I would strongly, strongly suggest that you find yourself a counsellor, a psychologist, somebody who practices looking at your story and looking at those areas of you, your thoughts, your behaviours, your emotions, your physical self and, and your needs being met and the relationships and which one of those relationships are um, impacting you. You know, you're living up to this and it might be a relationship that's been long gone, but it had such an uh, important impact on you that you're still carrying the damage and the thinking from that. And it's that thinking 
that's guiding this. And so your OCD might be there to try and cover, oh my gosh, I had to be perfect in that relationship and I'm still having to be perfect. Otherwise, no one will like me. So if I just fold this and I do this, I can't be caught out and uh, everything will be okay. You know, but that was one of the things for me. But I think in going down that line of inquiry, you will in time begin to look at OCD and say, now I know what your purpose is in my life and I don't need you anymore. So I'm going to deal with the fears that saw you manifest. And when I get rid of them, I can say, see you later to you as well. Not as easy as that. But that's my very quick take on answering that question for you, Joe. Okay, thank you. Um, have you got any more questions, Mark, before we wrap up? Or? No, I mean, I just wanted to say, Joe. I mean, your, you know, your, your, your healing and your story is so inspirational. I mean, I think our listeners, you know, OCD can be, you know, I don't need to say, you know, a really, really crippling disorder, you know, making life incredibly difficult, you know, and there's, and it's really common as well. And there's a whole spectrum, of course, but, you know, I think the, the healing that you've been able to manage with your OCD and your, you know, in your kind of wider mental health story, I think it's going to be really, really helpful and inspirational for our listeners to hear. So thank you for sharing. Can I just throw in as well, because I realise I missed out a whole gap in that. So I've Mm. sort of looked at the cognitive side of it in answering Joe's question, Mm. but we do thankfully know a lot more about our mind, body, spirit connection and all of that these days. So in conjunction with that, of course, please add the power of meditation the power of mindfulness and the power of nutrition, you know, being a food and nutrition teacher as a home ec teacher, uh, the power of nutrition as well, they must not go unnoticed. (laughs) So you need to look after each of those areas in your life and to bring it all together as one. So I needed to quickly throw that in. Yeah. And really important, you know, I mean, holistic healing. Nutrition so important, you know. Meditation and mindfulness we talk about a lot on the show. You know, there there are kind of many threads that come together. I think to to produce you know healing and looking at you know looking at healing in a holistic sense is the way to go. That's right. Absolutely, can't agree more. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Um, and I'm sure this is to really appreciate having someone come and share a story about OCD because it's a topic we haven't covered before. Um, and a thank you again to Mark for helping me co-host and uh, no any links you have to share with us we'll share it on our social media and just stay in contact and maybe we'll have you on again for a future episode because we've got episodes coming up next series with Anna, about anorexia and also um, some of the other topics you mentioned disassociation so yeah mm-hmm. stay in touch mm-hmm. and thank you so much for joining us Oh, absolute pleasure. And can I just say that it's been an honour, but it's also been great. I have been a guest for a number of podcasts and they've all been women and it's all been really, really great. So when I got the opportunity and found out that you were men, I went, oh, yay, (laughs) a different sort of experience to be able to share because it's not only women, you know, over here, it's men and their mental health as well. So I really applaud you for what you're doing, both of you, you know, to bring that attention you know, more openly and widely to the male population as well. Yeah. And here I am as a female contributing. So thank you very much for the pleasure. And I'd love to come back on any of the other topics, particularly the eating disorder one. <laughs> and you have my email anytime you like. That'll be great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very, okay. very much. Good to meet you, Jane. Thank you. Yeah, Bye. 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 If you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, 
please contact your local or country's helpline. You'll find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritan's suicide helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. Um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone, but there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before. And talking to someone really does help. It's okay to not be okay. And I will see you in the next episode.